Welcome to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whippeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Jeremy. So a lot of, well, there's been a lot of news over the last uh, six months on this, but uh, certainly it's been uh, clamoring all over uh, different media outlets, and that is the new CPI numbers that have come in where once again, inflation continues to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. And uh, the latest numbers, although not all that surprising, certainly came in a little bit higher than what people were expecting. So could you give us a lay of the land and some of the uh, news that was reported here in the last uh, 24 hours? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, let's make sure that everybody knows what CPI stands for, which is uh, for Consumer Price Index, which is essentially how uh, we gauge uh, what's going on from a cost of living standpoint uh, here in, in the United States. They do regional ones and also national one. And the, uh, the most recent numbers that just uh, came out on October is that we saw uh, almost a 1% month over month rise and obviously dragged the numbers up from what they were expecting uh, to where the level of the consumer price index uh, reached 6.2% uh, from a year ago. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing some inflationary pressures, even if you're looking at the core inflation, which is stripping out energy and food, which I personally don't like stripping those out. Those tend to be things that I spend money on um, that even increased at 4.6 percent, which is uh, numbers that we haven't seen uh, in 30 years. So we're, we're definitely seeing some some pressure on uh, the wallet, so to speak. Yeah. And. What's really interesting with all that is that uh, there's uh, a lot of chatter on, is this something that's going to extend for uh, quite some period of time, or is it going to be more what's deemed transitory or more temporary on these increases? Can you weigh in a little bit on why uh, so, well, a lot of uh, more of the uh, vocal uh, talking heads are believing that this may be shorter term, and then what some of uh, I guess the pressures are that have caused this inflationary uh, environment that we're in yeah absolutely well i mean if you listen to the fed and again uh, i love the fact that you use the word temporary because i don't know why we need to be so fancy with using words that people don't understand by talking about things like transitory but uh uh nonetheless uh, the federal reserve is basically saying uh, publicly that they do consider to be a temporary uh inflation that's really being driven a lot by supply chain issues uh, and as soon as those supply chain issues start to subside as a result of COVID uh, coming under more control, uh, then we will see that start to, uh, to lessen. Uh, the biggest things that they're talking about is to see inflation you know, through next year, uh, probably not at these levels, lower, but still above average uh, in next year, and for them really to start ta uh, tailing off in 2023. Uh, the thing that we are seeing that the Fed is doing is they're acting upon it. Uh, so they are cutting back their bond purchasing program, which is a stimulus to the economy. Uh, so right now, the, the Fed is buying uh, $120 billion a month, uh, split between treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, so two-thirds, one-third, uh, respectively. And so they have announced that they are going to cut back uh, $15 billion this month, and they're going to continue that. At that pace, uh, at least that's their announcement, uh, which would mean that they would stop buying bonds by June of next year. So with that, hopefully that, that stimulus will hopefully start to 
uh, drive uh, yields up and, and slow down things a little bit. And then if you're looking at the Fed futures, uh, they are looking like they're going to begin moving up um, right after they're done uh, with the tapering. You won't see the Fed, well, it would fly in the face of conventional wisdom for the Fed to go out and start raising rates while they're still buying bonds. Uh, so I think that, you know, again, it will really kind of depend on how quickly this uh, tapering or the reduction of the bond purchasing uh, happens. Right now, they're saying it's going to be in eight increments. We'll see if they don't, do, if they might speed it up, they might uh, uh, stop buying bonds much quicker than what they were talking about. And it will be interesting if they do that to see what the bond market and uh, parts of the stock market, how they react to that. As soon as they're done, I would expect, given these kind of numbers, I would expect to, to see them start getting aggressive about raising rates in order to start combating some of this too. Yeah, and uh, what's I think really interesting with all of this is that there's really two different forces that are at play here, causing some of the inflationary pressures. And uh, I know that we've talked about in the past, although I think it's helpful repeating here, and that is the demand side, which you mentioned uh, is going to start dissipating as the Fed stops injecting as much uh, cash into the uh, economy because of tapering uh, the bond purchases. But the other side is the supply side. Can can you kind of uh, give us a picture of why those two forces are working in tandem, creating a lot of this inflationary pressure that we're currently experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, I, I think the, the other thing worth mentioning is obviously, you know, right now, so when you're going out and buying, uh, treasuries, um, you're, like you said, you're, you're stimulating the economy. You're buying more of something that would not have the same sort of demand at the same sort of price. And what I mean by that, so if we're if we're talking about uh, treasuries, for example, if it's just you and me buying treasuries, and then all of a sudden a third person comes in, there's more demand for it. More demand means higher prices. Higher prices mean lower yields. Um, lower yields means it's easier to borrow at a cheaper valuation. So, and again, if you're looking at the average person who is borrowing, it's credit card debt, it's mortgages, those types of things. But you got to keep in mind that this also impacts purchasing managers for corporations. You know, how much are they able to buy? What are they able to buy? Are they putting it? You know, are they using revolving credit in order to be able to buy some of this stuff as well? Uh, so this has impacts across the board. So right now the demand's there. Um, you know, what will also be very interesting is as we see the Fed start to tapering, we're also got the federal government throwing another $1.5 trillion at the economy. So we already almost have another year's worth of stimulus packed in with what the Fed was doing and what the, uh, the federal government's doing. Now, obviously, uh, that's going into projects. It's a little bit different than making money cheap, uh, but you really do have um, a, a pretty amazing uh, and staggering amount of money that's still being thrown at this, which is why I do think that the Fed will start raising rates pretty quickly because they're not in full control of what's going on from a, a stimulus standpoint. Now, when you're talking supply versus demand, uh, to a, you're really talking about you know your simple economics. I mean, so when we have prices jump by 6.2%, you can get to that level by a couple of different things. You either have stronger demand, you know, and again, like I said, if it's just you and I, and we, there's two bottles of water sitting on the table and you and I are, are just wanting one bottle each, then the demand and the supply are exactly the same. If one more person comes to the table, then there's more demand than there is for supply. 
the prices will drive up. The other side of it, though, is if you start taking away people. So let's again say that there were three people at the table, three bottles of water, and one steps away. Now you got you know three bottles for two people. The only way that one of us is going to buy that second bottle is to think it's cheaper because we really don't have a need for it. But if it's made cheap enough for us, then we will actually take advantage of that situation. So uh, right now, uh, what you're seeing is um, supply and limited demand. So, I mean, what I mean by that is that the, the supply chain, having been disrupted in a lot of cases for a lot of different things, less bottles of water are being brought to the table. So there's still the two of us, but there's really kind of a bottle and a half of water. Uh, and we both want two bottles, or we both want a bottle each. So we're going to bid that up. So it's not that there is you know, necessarily that much higher demand. There's just less product in order for us to be able to go to get to because of the supply chain issues that we're dealing with. And that's part of what's driving prices up right now. Yeah, and what's interesting with all this is looking back now that we have uh, perfect clarity on some of the events unfolded, I mean, it seems actually obvious that we are going to run into inflationary pressures. And I say that because to pull out of the recession that we created last year, we're going to want to juice up demand. And that's exactly what the government did. They got demand uh, much higher through uh, the injection of um, uh, money into the U.S. economy. Top of that, COVID, by nature of it, creates supply chain issues because people start socially distancing. They don't go into work when they're sick and so forth. So you kind of have this perfect storm going on right now where demand's high, supply is low, like you mentioned. And then because you have uh, greater demand chasing smaller amount of goods, of course, it pulls those prices up. And I think laying it out that way, though, it does sound very promising that this is going to be transitory or temporary because at some point, hopefully in the not too distant future, we should be able to get the supply side of everything figured out. And of course, uh, we're not going to stimulate for forever, um, although certainly uh, we have uh, some stimulus uh, left ahead um, with some of the recent uh, announcements on the bill that just passed or is getting passed. I'm not sure if it's final, final, but... Um, with that said, Jeff, is there anything else on the horizon that you see that uh, people need to be paying attention to when it comes to inflationary pressures or supply chain uh, issues that uh, we're currently facing? Well, I mean, I don't think we're through the woods with the supply chain issue for, for starters. I mean, you know, as much as we talk about trying to get it figured out, and you're, and you're right. I mean, obviously, uh, I think that the part of the issue that we, um, you, you couldn't, think was going to happen was the hesitancy of a very large percentage of our population to go back to work. And so as you have a, a massive amount of job openings um, and you still have unemployment that's above where we were pre-COVID, um, I think that's one thing to continue to watch with this is that we've got to get people back working. You know, the, the other element to it, and I think, again, uh, something I think was probably not crystal clear, but you know, became more and more evident as time was going on, was that the government, obviously, with throwing stimulus at the situation, was more of a backstop to protect people, make sure that they weren't, you know, they were able to buy food, they were able to, to pay their rent, they were able to uh, sustain their life. What I think the, the biggest issue there is I don't know that the government really realized that they were going to actually be paying a very high percentage of the people that were unemployed more money than when they were actually working. And so that's where this additional money sitting on hand uh, and the additional demand that you're talking about was also created was that the government threw a bunch of money and, and perhaps too much money 
uh, at the problem. And so I think it became much more evident when they extended upon unemployment benefits when they already knew that people were getting paid more than what they were doing when they were unemployed. And that's, I think, a little bit more of the issue that we have you know, at hand. But really getting those people working uh, and making sure that we um, you know, kind of release these bottlenecks in certain places is really what, it's, what the key to it is. I mean, you've got certain foodstuffs that are sky, have skyrocketed in price. And we've talked about this. We've talked about beef prices and poultry prices in days past. But really, and realistically speaking, when we're looking at this stuff, the only way that those prices start to lower is by getting more people working uh, and processing so that more meat products you know, can get out to the marketplace. That's the only way that you fix it. It's not like we don't have as many chickens or turkeys. It's not like we don't have as many cows. It's that we're not processing them in a, in a, in a way that we can actually bring them to market with enough, uh, with enough size to not have that price increase. So that's really a, a bigger factor that's out there what I would be looking at here. Beyond that, the one thing that I would really look at, you know, there are a lot of, there's gonna be a lot of landmines out there. And I think that you really need to be very aware of where to invest and where not to invest more specifically, because there are parts of the marketplace that really tend to have a lot more difficulty in a rising interest rate environment. And as we already know, we're in it right now. We're in a rising interest rate environment. So, and we're gonna definitely be there for at least another 18 months. So how do you invest based upon that? Yeah, um, it certainly uh, adds a, a major wrinkle into the analysis that needs to be done. And I'm sure uh, has caused a lot of things to not quite work out the way that was expected because of that inflationary pressure that's come in. Uh, with regard to uh, all this inflation and the fact that we're in a yield starved environment, meaning that we can't get uh, a yield on the safer assets that are in the investment universe that comes anywhere close to inflation. I think it's worth repeating, although this is something that we've talked about in the past, but it's one of those concepts I think uh, just need to keep uh, talking about over and over again, because we haven't seen this in several decades. How do people properly protect themselves against inflationary pressures when it comes to their investments, their overall portfolio? Well, the one thing you don't want to do, uh, let's, let's just start off with what you don't want to do, and then we'll, then we'll move right into what you should be doing. Uh, the one thing you don't want to do is to uh, leave and harbor a bunch of money sitting on the sidelines uh, where you know you're going to lose money to it. So what I mean by that is if you're sitting in cash and you're earning nothing on your money, you're basically telling, uh, you, you should tell yourself that you're willing to basically give up a negative return to inflation, your buying power. So again, our numbers that just came out were 6.2%. So you've got a million dollars sitting on the sidelines and you're not putting that money to work because you're afraid of what's going on with the market. You're basically saying that you're willing to give up $60,000 of that. Uh, and you're basically gonna be having a portfolio that's gonna be able to buy $940,000 worth of goods. Just that simple. So you gotta get your money working for you. The other element to it is oftentimes, again, people trying to be safe, what do they do? They go into things like you know, short-term fixed income, bonds, those types of things. That is going to harm you, again, uh, in a rising interest rate environment. There's an inverted relationship between price and yield. 
we just forgot, we just got done saying that the, the Federal Reserve is going to start raising rates. They're also in the process of cutting back on their buying power. So that's going to force you know, prices down, yields up. Uh, and so in that situation, you're going to lose uh, to inflation and you're going to lose real money. Um, and it's going to be something that's going to creep up on you. Even if you have shorter duration stuff and you don't think that you're going to lose because it's, you're going to allow them to mature, you're still losing your buying power. You're not getting enough in the way of yield to offset what's going on with regard to inflation. And then if you are putting your money into the stock market, which is really the only place that uh, uh, between real estate and stocks, I think that those are going to be areas that uh, uh, you're going to definitely want to grow your money to offset this inflationary pressure. Uh, but again, you've got to be very, very cautious to how you're dealing with this. You, know, you can't just blindly go out and buy real estate. Um, I mean, if you're looking at, for example, commercial space, uh, I think it, it loses value for you over the next several years as people continue to want to work more from home or at least have the flexibility of doing that. Uh, there's more and more companies that are uh, allowing a work from home uh, environment or at least a blended environment where they're not going to need the same sort of space. Uh, but in addition, you're going to have some pressure on individual housing. So if you just went out and bought uh, a house and you put it, you know, as an investment for yourself, great. The problem is that the cost to carry within that environment for the people that might come behind you that might want to buy this house from you is going to get a whole lot more expensive. So if it gets more expensive, less people can afford it. Again, just going back to simple supply and demand. Uh, so if you're talking about, let's just use simple math. You're talking about a million dollar house and somebody wants to uh, put $250,000 down on it, get a $750,000 mortgage. Awesome. You know, they're probably paying 3%. What if it was 6%? What if it was 8%? You know, my first house that I bought, I was excited that I got a seven and seven eighths uh, mortgage. So if you're talking about those kind of numbers, uh, more of that's going to interest and less of that's going to principal, uh, how many people can afford it? At the very least, I can tell you with absolution that it's less people. Now, what percentage, you know, that's to be debated, but uh, you definitely run into certain issues there. So you really want to be very cautious. Again, a lot of people believing that real estate is this uh, easy and great way to insulate yourself from inflation. And the answer is that, yes, it can be, but it depends on where. And that also goes right into the stock market. There are some areas of the market that it will do fine. And there are other areas of the market that will definitely get hurt. And it's your more debt-ridden companies that have short-term revolving debt or large debt to equity ratios that will get harmed by this. Now, some people will talk about the restructuring of and so on. Well, if you're using revolving credit for virtually nothing, you know, are you going to steal from Peter to pay Paul and extend out your credit? It's possible, but then you're going to take those lumps now versus taking them down the road. And most publicly traded companies are going to want to defer that uh, pain point uh, to down the road because it's all about the instant gratification of what's going on with the current earnings versus earnings down the road. They're being graded based upon today, not tomorrow. And that's what they're worried about. So you're probably not seeing a lot of restructuring at the moment. So these larger companies with a lot of debt are going to get hurt. And then the other companies that will get hurt are ones that are really not able to, from a competitive nature, be able to pass on the additional cost that they're incurring through inflation. So oftentimes, you know, a company will pass on, and this is why we're, you see the inflation in the consumer price index, not the producer price index. 
that the consumer is paying for that inflationary pressure. And so if a company is not able to pass on that additional cost, their margins go down and so do their earnings. And this impacts a lot more on the growth side of the market than the value side. So as you all know, Polaris Wealth tends to be a lot more value-oriented with how we manage money. Value companies historically have done dramatically better than growth during these kind of time periods. So it's not that all growth companies will do bad, but you really need to be very specific and understand exactly what you're investing in and understand are, are they going to be able to defend their profit margins uh, because especially with a growth company, you're buying future earnings. You're not buying what's going on today. You're buying what you're hoping should be going on tomorrow. And if that tightens and they're not able to produce earnings at a growth rate um, that you originally bought it, then you paid too much for the stock. And the growth companies will tend to get chopped at the knees as a result of that. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for uh, for kind of laying the land on that. And that's, I think, something that needs to really be uh, closely scrutinized by many investors because growth has been a pretty... Um, Yes, uh, relevant part, for lack of a better word, um, in portfolio growth over the years. And it's very common for us to see that that's actually an overweight within a lot of portfolios because of the amount of growth there. And so it's, this is one of those times where it really uh, is important to look at what you have, make sure that you're aligned correctly going forward, because I think a lot of people are going to get caught in the trap where they had a lot more exposure to areas that are sensitive to rising inflationary, rising interest rate um, environment pressures and aren't necessarily aware of that. And so something uh, that people should absolutely be doing on their own or even better, um, we're always happy to give a second opinion on the portfolio allocation and give recommendations that'll better align with the uh, events that we expect to unfold here over the next two, three, five, ten 10 years. So um, appreciate the uh, just the reminder that everyone needs to be really diligent and not uh, get complacent on what's worked in the past because uh, this market keeps shifting it's very dynamic, and so what's worked for the last 10 years is unlikely in this type of environment to be the best way going forward. Any uh, last thoughts or uh, comments for the group before we uh, end our conversation today, Jeff? Well, I would just reiterate what you were saying. Uh, you know, most people, um, they look at media, they look at other things as their form of research, and, and unfortunately, a lot of those people, while they may have seen successes, uh, it's about being successful on purpose. Uh, we want to set you up uh, to do the right thing. So number one is to understand the risk levels that you need to be taking. Uh, the second is you know, what you want to take. And then are you positioned properly for uh, not only what's going on now, but what's going on in the future? So I think you hit the nail on the head, but we would love to, uh, uh, to assist and, and help you uh, in the evaluation process and make sure that you know, going forward, you're positioned to, for what's going to be you know, the next era of investing. And to your point, I mean, growth has outperformed really probably over the last four or five years pretty substantially. Right now, we're seeing value compared to growth at levels, uh, you know, from a cheap versus expensive ratio. Um, value is very cheap compared to growth. And we're at levels that we haven't seen really since the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. So not that we expect a dot-com-like bubble, but we are at levels that we would expect a reversion to mean, and you, again, we'll probably see a good three, four year time period in which value is outperforming growth pretty substantially. Yeah, so and for those that are trying to be opportunistic, that would clearly suggest then that uh, value, both from a 
I guess, a price entry point and as well as a forward expectations looking like a, a really good investment uh, going forward. And we've certainly seen early signs of that this year, which uh, hopefully will continue into the years to come. And uh, history would suggest that that's exactly what should happen. So with that, Jeff, always appreciate uh, your expertise and your time um, helping us to make sense of these things that are oftentimes uh, talked at high level in the news outlets, but not really uh, dived into like you do. So thank you so much for uh, sharing with us on how to make sense of these inflationary pressures. My pleasure. So and to all of our listeners, always appreciate the time that you give us. And uh, as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.